The birds are singing, the flowers are blooming. There's a very light, warm breeze outside and I am on my pilgrimage. Every pilgrimage needs a shrine and every pilgrim a destination. Given these unusual times and the circumstances we're all going through during COVID-19, my shrine these last few weeks has turned out to be the top of my stairs. The path I've been following is to put my exercise clothes on and walk up 13 stairs and then repeat it. Now, if going up and down a staircase in a two-story semi-detached in the East Midlands of England sounds a tad boring, I, I want to say we're lucky, and I know it. We're lucky enough to actually have room to go up and down a staircase. Probably like you, I had big plans for the spring and summer of 2020. Plans that COVID-19 scuttled. A lot of my plans involved walking. Walking in interesting places. I was finally going to see England's Lake District, where William Wordsworth and his sister Dorothy did so much hiking and riding. I was hoping to go back to the St. Cuthbert Way, the 125-kilometer trek from Melrose, Scotland, to Holy Island, where you cross the last few kilometers barefoot across the ocean floor. It's a magic place. It's only a short distance from this staircase I'm walking to the Peaks District, where the Ramblers first helped bring about England's right to Rome with a mass trespass in 1932. I, I'd like to climb in those footsteps up Kinder Scout one more time. A friend had also invited me to hike from Lindisfarne to Durham, where St. Cuthbert's body was laid to rest, and his shrine now sits at one end of the, one of the most beautiful cathedrals in all of England. All these walking plans. And now, perhaps like you, thanks to the pandemic, everything has changed. I now have nowhere to go but up and down this staircase, 13 steps, 50 repetitions, which means 650 steps up, 650 down. While I walk the staircase, however, I remember the walks I've already been on, and I dream about others to come. This podcast is dedicated to sharing those walks and some of the people I've met and experiences I've had with you. I hope you enjoy them. All this is flashy rhetoric about loving you. I never had a selfless thought since I was born. I am mercenary and self-seeking through and through. I want God, you all friends, merely to serve my turn. Peace, reassurance, pleasure are the goals I seek. Cannot crawl an inch outside my proper skin. I talk of love, scholars, parrot may talk. That's my friend Catherine singing in uh, very early June of 2013. The footsteps you hear are us, the two of us walking along the St. Olaf Trail in Norway with a group also behind. In 2013, I had just had laparoscopic surgery, keyhole surgery, for an aggressive prostate cancer. Three weeks later, against the advice of most of my friends and with the grudging permission of my doctor, I landed in Oslo to begin a 250-kilometer trek with Catherine, who was singing, and four other friends. The surgery had left me in terrible shape. I was weak, overweight from no exercise, and abnormally for me, out of breath at the slightest hill. They'd 
had a hitch with a tear in my bladder during the surgery, and it, it had taken hours. The anesthetic had taken days to wear off, days while I lay in my bed, stupid with painkillers, and bloated. The walk had been planned before my surgery had, had been announced. Once I knew the dates, I wasn't going to be put off. For me, it grew from just a walk into a pilgrimage. Once I knew that I was having the surgery, a chance, I thought, imagining the worst, to celebrate the fact that I was still alive. The surgeon who had done the procedure assured me after the surgery that, as he put it, he got it all. But I was still scared. Who wouldn't be? Would the cancer come back? Would it be my last chance for a long walk? My father's first language had been Norwegian. My grandparents were from the same areas we would be walking through. My earliest memories were of my grandmother Camilla giving me cookies and speaking to me in sing-song rural Norwegian. The St. Olaf way ends in Trondheim, whose medieval name was Nidaros. I'd been told that my grandmother had lived there. Before the surgery, my plan had been to bring my video camera and Zoom mic and make a movie about the trail while walking. I did take video, did some interviews, but on the walk I was tired and disorganized and still a bit shell-shocked at the surgery. Sometime that summer, the hard drive where I'd stored all my footage and audio clips fell and broke. Only fragments survived. In a way, it was fitting. Most of my memories of the St. Olaf Way are like that now. Scattered images, snatches of conversation, faces of people. I'd like to tell you about how wonderful the St. Olaf Trail is, and it really is a spectacular path. I can put my memories together from the bits of audio that survived and from some of the notes I jotted down. Let me tell you first what I wrote when I arrived. When it was my turn at the customs booth, the uniformed official in the booth asked why I was visiting Norway. The St. Olaf Trail, I said. Then, when her face registered nothing, I added, I'm going to walk on the St. Olaf Way from Dovre to Trondheim. I'm careful, I was careful to pronounce the H in Trondheim as a Y the way I'd heard it done. So you'll be coming back to Oslo, she asked. She wasn't looking at me, making a point of it, flipping through the pages, checking where I'd been on the passport. No, I'm flying out from Trondheim. I said that Y twice, which was a secret pleasure. When do you leave the country? This, still looking at my passport as if it contained some secret unknown to me, but that she had still to discover. She was about my age, I realized, maybe mid-fifties. I think I see in her face the same kind of lines I knew from my childhood among Scandinavian settlers in the Canadian West where I grew up. But maybe that's just the romantic part of me, stretching to make some connection in this land whose people and language seemed so foreign to me, even though half my genes came from this soil. In 13 days, I answered, just about two weeks. I wondered if there was a problem. And then, because my default is always to try and make contact, even when I shouldn't, I added, I hope, at least, depends on how fast we walk the way. She reached for her stamp without any indication that she'd even heard what I'd said. Then, 
As she pushed the official imprint of Norway down onto the paper, she looked up and almost unbelievably smiled at me, a big, broad smile. So, she said, you're a pilgrim. Despite my attempts to introduce just that subject, I was caught off guard. I guess so, I answered awkwardly. Enjoy your time in Norway. Have a good trip. She handed back the passport, the words Canada, on the top facing me. And then she looked right back up at me, and I hesitated a second, wondering if there was more to come, until I realized she was actually looking right through me to the person behind. Next! Maybe I should step back a second and tell you a little bit about the St. Olaf Way in case you'd like to walk it as well. It's a medieval Scandinavian pilgrimage route that started when, you guessed it, St. Olaf, or Olaf Haraldsson, was killed in battle on July 29th of the year 1030. The year 1030 was an important date, but maybe we'll get to that in a future podcast. Haraldsson was no saint, really. He's always shown in his icons with the battle axe. In fact, it's quite likely it was disgruntled local Norwegians who murdered him at the Battle of Stiklestad. Be that as it may, his cult was quickly promoted by his son, and not long later, the dead king became the saint that has become the patron saint of Norway. For a few centuries, the shrine at the Cathedral of Nidaros marked one of the most important pilgrimage routes in Northern Europe. Then came the Protestant Reformation, and the shrine was removed by royal decree in 1537. The saint's bones were lost and never found. Bit by bit, starting in the 1970s, the medieval trail began to be recovered. There was a a general rise in interest in walking pilgrimage because of the Camino de Santiago in Spain. Local towns and villages in Norway began to see how pilgrimage could be a business opportunity, especially in rural areas. A newly revived Norwegian nationalism was happy to honor Olaf, and the Protestant churches, for their part, thought that perhaps pilgrimage might be a mission opportunity. For all these reasons, the pilgrimage began to be heavily promoted, especially by the 1990s, which is why it caught our interest as a group of Canadians in 2013-2012, and perhaps your interest if you've seen the trail online. Our first night in the mountains of central Norway, we found ourselves in the absolutely idyllic Budsjørgård, a small farm converted into a pilgrim and traveler center. Center is too grand a word. One of the buildings is a former horse stable where five beds are lined up in the five stalls. The night we stayed there, our eldest traveling companion was put up in one of the former granges, where even short people had to stoop to go in the door. There were holes in the walls, a temperature problem on a very cold June night, and there was a nearly foot-wide gap between the entrance and the top stone stair, a hole through which it would be a two-meter fall to the ground below. The common bathroom was a renovated interior in an old building entered through a hobbit-sized door where a bedrock piece of granite stuck up through a part in the floor in front of the wash basin. Several of the buildings had uh, overgrown turf roofs, typical of old Norwegian farm outbuildings. I absolutely loved the place. Mm -hmm. 
added to the charm of the scenery was the wide-eyed young Norwegian woman who with breathless sweetness told us that it was her first day on the job and we were her very first pilgrims. And then in the middle of the meal arrived a one-armed and grizzled German pilgrim who came halfway through the meal, asked for food and lodging, and told us, wiping the sweat from his brow with his stump as he ate his supper, that he was a former marathon runner, and he was on the St. Olaf Way and averaging 25 miles a day through the mountains. Just incredible. Especially impressive given that the range is traversed with swollen spring streams that year. Between the German's lively and intelligent face and the almost unbelievable open-eyed innocence of the hostess, it was all I could do to wait until the poor man had eaten and she had finished clearing to pull out my camera and ask them both for interviews. I asked all the usual questions of the German pilgrim and I really wanted to know why he was on this trek and why he was working himself so hard. Despite his obvious intensity, the wonderful character evident in his face, I was disappointed with what I got. Every time I asked a direct question about motive, he answered with a listing of distances. It was as if he couldn't understand uh, my English, and I certainly my broken German wasn't enough. Eventually, in frustration, I put away the camera. Later, I bumped into the same man, the same German outside the washroom. He motioned to me. Listen, he said to me in his half-English, half-German. I didn't say this inside, but I have another reason for going on this pilgrimage. I am walking 500 kilometers to find out if God exists. <laughs> what I was thinking right at that moment was, why does this always happen to me? Why is it always when I don't have a camera or a mic? But I fought the urge to go get my equipment. Not entirely happy, I just stayed put and I listened. 34 years ago, this man said, there was a young man, me, who had an accident and was, how do you say it? Not with it, not, not with life, I mean. Out of life, he said. For three days, I was between death and life, and somehow I came back. Now I want to know why. Now I want, as a middle-aged man, to find out if there is God, and if God brought me back as an accident, or for some reason. Do you want to tell me that on camera? I asked him. No, he responded. But I wanted you to know. I've interested you in this absolutely stunning set of paths in Norway. The best time to walk it is normally from late May through to September. For more information on the St. Olaf Way, see their website at www.pilgrimsleden.no. I'll spell that P-I-L-E-G-R-I-M-S-L-E-D-E-N.no, Norway. www.pilgrimsleden, Norway. Good luck to them as they contemplate whether because of COVID-19 there will in fact be a 2020 pilgrimage season. For more information on the main pilgrimage route from Oslo to Trondheim, Alison Raju has written a small guidebook titled The Pilgrim Way to Nidaros. For more history and some theory about pilgrimage, see my 2019 article on the Pilgrim's Laden, which is available through the Public Access Journal the International Journal of Religious Tourism and Pilgrimage. You can find that online. Or see my blog at www.somethinggrand.ca. Something Grand with two Gs. 
My thanks to my fellow walkers years ago on the St. Olaf Way, Christine Lund, Elsa Barg, Gwen Ann Jorgensen, Alan Jorgensen, and Catherine Scott, whose song you heard at the beginning of the podcast. Thanks also to James Anderson for the harmonica genius music in the podcast. We'll be hearing more from him. And to Gabriel Morehouse Anderson for her guitar stylings. I'm Matthew Anderson, the Canadian Staircase Pilgrim, coming to you from Nottingham, England. Tune in again for the next Staircase Pilgrimage podcast. Thanks. See ya. I'm leaving you with a clip that I just discovered of myself. I recorded myself at the top of a mountain coming down and thinking about the next mountain to climb from 2013. Here we are. It's almost noon. Sounds like the Norwegian Air Force is again out flying. And this is the overlooking of this pass. We're almost at the bottom of the pass now. We're going to hit the lowest levels and then and then we'll start climbing again.